But uh, it's an exciting day to be together. In a moment, we are going to have some of the best food we could ever have, and I'm really excited about that, and I promise I'm going to try to do my best to get you there as quickly as possible. So um, today we are wrapping up our Missio Dei sermon series. Uh, we've been in this. This is now the 10th week. We started, started in Genesis 12. Today we're going to be in Revelation 19. We've been looking at God's story, the narrative that he is writing with all of history that you and I find ourselves smack dab in the middle of. And what I hope is that this series has both instilled our heart to worship God and to engage with him in his mission of making worshipers from all nations. That's what I hope this series has accomplished. But I want to invite you to join join us back here next week as we begin our Advent season with a a fifth Sunday sharing service next week. Um, When I was a a freshman in high school, I fell in love, or so I thought, for the first time with a girl named Jessie. And uh, by some act of God, I convinced Jessie to date me. And for for a few weeks, things were going really, really well. And then, as it often happens in high school relationships, uh, Out of nowhere, before we had even been dating for two months, she up and broke up with me. And to this day, I still do not know why. I got the classic, hey, can we just be friends? Really? Is that the best you can give? But but honestly, I can look back now and I can laugh about it and, and chuckle and make jokes. But at the time, I was absolutely devastated. If you've ever had your heart broken, you know that it doesn't matter how old you were and what the circumstances were, you were destroyed. There were months of being depressed. The thing I remember most vividly, this dates me a little bit, um, the thing I remembered most vividly was listening to a mixtape that I created by, re- by recording songs off of the FM radio by hitting record. Anybody remember that? You had like the announcements and you had to fast forward through the radio. What I remember most are two songs that still to this day I cannot hear and not think of Jesse and think of just sitting in my room depressed. And those two songs are, this is from the fall of 1997, How Do I Live Without You by Leanne Rimes. (laughs) And and this one was my favorite. If if you don't remember this song, you really need to go look it up because it's a great song. Nobody Knows It By Me, Nobody Knows It But Me by the Tony Rich Project. First of all, that man has a silky smooth voice. And secondly, that song takes you to a place that you should not go in depression. (laughs) Now, for your sake, I decided not to sing either of those songs at this moment. And you're thankful for that. But uh, really, when when I look back at this time in my life, at this relationship, I realized that what hurt so much was I gave my heart and my life to Jesse and our relationship, and it absolutely failed me. It failed me. And what I know is that every single one of us in this room all give our lives and our hearts to things that fail us. Whether it's a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex, we think sometimes that if we could just find Mr. Right, we'll finally feel secure. Or guys, sometimes we think if we just find that perfect woman, we'll finally be okay. But we know all too well that a relationship with the opposite sex fails us. It does not 
meet our needs. Others of us search for our joy and our security in achievement. We try to climb the ladder and we try to make a name for ourselves only to find that when we get to the top of the ladder, the ladder betrayed us and we're just as empty before we ever climbed it. And some of us have tried money and material things, but at the end of the day, we realize that our cash and our cars and our trinkets, they're all just a bunch of stuff that doesn't do anything for us. We give our hearts and our lives to things that fail us. What I want to tell you today is that we have hope because there is something that you can give your life to that will never fail you. There is something that can withstand your deepest needs for security and joy. There is something that will come through. And that thing is God and his mission. It is the only thing out there that exists that can meet your needs. And I want to show you today why God's mission is worth giving your life to. Why God's mission is the only thing worth giving your life to. So turn with me to Revelation 19, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 to discover why God's mission is worth giving our lives to. As we look here at the end of God's story, at the end of it all, as we look here, we'll find out why God's mission is worth giving our lives to, and then we'll also be able to to really answer another question how do we experience the greatness of God's mission? So, so there's, there's the part of it that satisfies that, that, that part of us that needs to know why this is worth it, and then we'll also see along the process like how we can actually experience this gift that God has for us in his mission. So I want to pray for us in our time, and then we'll, we'll read through this. Let's pray. God, it's so great to see the faces of all the folks that are here today, some new, some old. Um, We're so grateful and thankful that you've brought us all here today. And we're so grateful for you. We're thankful that because of your son, we have access to you. We aren't just friends of yours. We are in your family. We are your children, your sons and your daughters. We thank you that there's coming a day when we will see our bridegroom in all of his glory and beauty, and we will be with him forever. I pray that today you would give us a glimpse of that that would change our very lives, that would impact our hearts so much that we would leave this place different than we came in. I pray that you would inhabit this place for the next 25 minutes and that you would be with us in such a way that your truth would be more than cognitive but it would be an emotional and an all-encompassing experience. God, we need you. We need to hear from you. We need to be with you. So we ask you to come and do just that. Be with us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, verse 6. says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this down, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Quite an amazing scene that John sees and he hears. And I want to dig in and, and, and I believe as we look at these verses a little more closely, we'll understand why God's mission is worth giving our lives to. Right out the gate, John tells us that he heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. It's a pretty interesting description. Just this morning on the way to church, Lexi was telling me how she's noticed that Sydney is at a stage in her life where she wants to communicate, but she can't. Like she stands across the room and mumbles and jumbles, and it's like you can see the look on her face, and she wants us to know what she's experiencing, and she just doesn't have the words to communicate it. I think John is experiencing something similar because he is seeing and hearing something that earthlings do not have a category for. And so he does the best he can, and he gives us this description, saying that it's like a waterfall and it's like thunder. Take yourself to the bottom of Niagara Falls. Eva, I think you were just there this fall. I have not been there yet, but I can imagine at the bottom of Niagara Falls, your ears are taking in a roar that is louder than anything else you've ever heard. But we've all been woken up in the middle of the night by a thunderstorm that literally, it doesn't matter if you're smack dab in the middle of your deepest sleep cycle, you just sit straight up and wonder if somebody bulldozed your front door down. That's what he hears, and he hears it because it's a great multitude. And in Revelation 7, the New Testament reading, we, hear, we get a description of this multitude. This multitude is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This is an international, innumerable body of believers. And they are singing. And the roar that John hears is their chorus to their God. He says that they cried out, Hallelujah, which means praise Yahweh, praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Why do they praise Him? They praise Him because for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. They praise Him for who he is and what he has done. First, they praise him for who he is. They praise him because he isn't just a God, he is the one and only God, Yahweh. He isn't just the God, he is their God. He is a personal God. And they praise him because he isn't just a powerful God, he is the all-powerful, sovereign God. The multitude praises Yahweh for who he is, but they also praise him for what he does. They cry out, the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. The international multitude is praising God at this point because he has defeated Babylon, he has defeated his enemies, he has triumphed over evil, and he reigns forever. This is not looking forward to that day. This is that day has come and we can't help but shout. That's what's going on here. So here's the deal. This is the first reason why God's mission is worth giving our lives to. God's mission is worth it because God is worth it. God's mission is worthy of giving our lives to because God is worthy of all worship, including yours and mine. 
God alone is worthy of all worship. Only God is all good, all powerful. Only God sits on the throne. He doesn't share it with anything or anyone else. And so his mission is worth engaging in because it belongs to the one who is worthy of all. But what does this mean for us? How do we experience the greatness of God's mission in line with this truth? It's pretty simple. Worship God alone. Worship God alone. Don't just worship God and your stuff. Don't just worship God and the things that you have or the things that you want. Don't just worship God and your spouse and your kids. Worship God alone. You want to be satisfied in life? Quit having idols, even the ones that are really easy and sneak under the surface like your family. Don't worship anything else. If you want to be satisfied, if you want to experience the gift of God's mission, worship God alone. Look at verse 7. It says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Basically, this is their way of saying, let's celebrate, let's party, let's get down, because we have a God who has overcome. They say, let us rejoice, letting us know, you and me, that they find their joy in God. They find their joy in God. This international, innumerable group finds their joy in God alone. Why? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. They rejoice because Christ has come to receive them, his bride, the church. They rejoice because what they have waited for, let me correct myself, the one that they have waited for their entire lives is finally with them. And they are with him face to face. What they have longed for is finally here. And look look down at verse 9. It says this, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed means favored, and it also carries this idea of joy. Anybody who's favored is going to have joy. And so who are the ones who are blessed, who receive this favor, who are bestowed this joy? Those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The participants in this great wedding party are the ones that are favored, the ones that have joy. If you've ever been to like one of those just killer wedding receptions, like the kind where people talk about it for months, And like when people run into you, like you haven't seen them in years, and they're like, man, I still remember that. That was so much fun. The one that we are waiting for, the one that these folks are singing about, and because it is happening, will be the most epic party on the face of any place. I want to say earth, but it's even more than that. This will be the greatest festival, the greatest party that could ever, ever, ever exist. Because it is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that talked about the day when God and man would be fully restored. Our Old Testament reading today comes from Hosea 2. If you remember back to the spring, we went through the entire book of Hosea, or at least chunks of it. And in Hosea 2, 19 through 20, it says this, And I will betroth you to me forever. This is God talking to Israel. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. 
These folks are excited because they now know the one that they have yearned and longed for without hindrance, face-to-face, zero barriers, zero sin in the way. Nothing is in the way. Think about that. What would it be like to be there? To know God perfectly and to be known by Him perfectly in actuality. That's why they're full of joy. Their joy is full because they are finally with Jesus, the source of their joy, and they know that they will be with Him forever, and nothing can change that. And that gives me a second reason why I believe and why I think the text communicates to us God's mission is worth giving our lives to. And that is simply this. Joy is found in knowing and being known by God. Joy is found in knowing and being known by God. There is nothing else that will ever satisfy our hearts because our hearts were made to be known by God and to know Him. They were made to find their joy in our God. If you think about it, a a gasoline engine does not run on diesel and a diesel engine doesn't run on gas. We don't run on anything other than knowing God. Our hearts cannot be satisfied in anything else because we weren't made for anything else. Okay? So God's mission is worth giving our lives to because joy is found in knowing and being known by God. Now, if we want to experience the greatness of God's mission in light of this, it's not just about knowing and being known by God. I think it also includes making God known. So if we want to experience the greatness of God's mission, of course we, know, we, we need to know God and we need to be known by Him, but it also includes making God known. Because isn't that what we, we have studied for nine weeks that we're here for? And wouldn't it make sense that God would increase our joy as we go out and do the things that He's called us to do and as we introduce people to the source of joy? Here's the way I think of it. Just like when I go to a restaurant that I really like, I want to go tell people about that restaurant because it increases my joy to talk about something that I enjoy. Right? We do that. When we go see a really good movie, we don't just not talk about it. We go tell somebody. But if you want to take it a step further to really increase your joy in something, you don't just go tell somebody about it. You take them to go eat at the place that brought you the joy in the first place. You say, hey, you've got to have this burger. Let's go. Tuesday, noon. And then across the table from one another, your teeth sink in to that medium rare patty. And if you're Cody, nasty chunks of blue cheese on top. (laughs) And there at that table, your joy is increased because you're enjoying the same thing. Maybe not blue cheese, but the rare, medium rare patty. Joy is such that it increases as we share it and share in it. And so if we want to experience all of the gift that God has for us in his mission, we can't stop with knowing and being known by God. We're selling ourselves short if we don't get out and make him known. He has a gift for us in making him known. So the marriage comes... Because the bride is ready. It actually says that back in verse, verse 7. It says, let us rejoice and exult, give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. But John tells us how the bride has made herself ready in verse 8. Look at this with me. He says this, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, 
bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So here's the deal. The bride is not dressed in a fabric. The bride is dressed in nothing less than the wonderful acts of worship of all the saints of the ages. Every good thing that doesn't burn up, not the stubble, not the wood, but the stuff that really was rooted in faith and love for God is cloaking the bride of Christ on this day. But here's what's beautiful about this. It was granted us to clothe ourselves in this. These righteous acts that we will be before our bridegroom in are not just the fruit of our own effort. They are a gift. These are due to the grace of God. These are not just, we tried really hard and we accomplished it. These are, God gave us the ability to clothe ourselves. The very faith and love that enabled us to do these things with pure hearts and pure motives came from God. He gave us that faith. He gives us that faith. When we are married to Jesus, when we are there dressed in our wedding gown, it is a dress that he purchased for us with his own blood by giving us his righteousness. And you know what? A lot of times we hear a lot about how Christ took our sin. We talk about imputation where Christ took on our sin on the cross and killed it, paid that debt, made it obsolete. What we also need to remind ourselves of is that God gave us Christ's righteousness. It was a two-way transaction. He didn't just take your sin and my sin. He also gave us his righteousness. And one day, all of us are going to be standing in it in actuality, and we are going to be fit for our holy and righteous Savior because he died for us. That's why this is a gift. It was granted to us. In verse 9, John even goes a little bit further about this, and he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If it's not clear already, here he says it again. The way I would put it is this. The gospel is our ticket into this wedding. It's not anything we do. It's what Christ has done for us. It is his righteousness that causes us to be prepared to meet our holy and righteous one, to meet him. And then John says in verse 9, these are the true words of God. This isn't just, you know, some pipe dream philosophy. This isn't, hey, I think this might happen. These are the true words of God. Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Almighty, the one that they are singing to, stands behind the very things we're reading. This wedding cannot be stopped. Think about that for a second. There is nothing that can be done. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do to thwart this great wedding that is coming. Christ has already done it all. He's paid the bill. It's non-refundable. It's irreversible. It is coming like a freight train. It's just not here yet. Our bridegroom has promised to come for us, and he is ensured by his life, his death, and his resurrection that we will be ready for him. God's mission And this may be the most important reason of all. God's mission is worth giving our lives to because God will accomplish his mission. God's mission is worth giving our lives to because God himself will accomplish his mission. It cannot fail. It will not fail. We all need something that will not fail us, something to give ourselves to that will hold up and come through when all is said and done. And the only thing that will stand in the end is God and his mission. 
God and his purposes are the only thing that are indestructible. And so we want to be on that side, don't we? God's mission is worth giving our lives to because he will accomplish it. And because of that, I believe if we want to experience the greatness of God's mission, if we want to suck every ounce of life out of this gift that he is giving to us, right here today, on November 23rd in 2014, we can get ready for that. We can prepare ourselves for that marriage, for that wedding celebration. We can get ready for it and prepare. And what I think that looks like is not just looking forward to it and hoping for it, but actually doing something about the fact that this day is coming. Think about it this way. When a bride and groom are planning their wedding day, they don't just set a date and then like kick back and show up on the day of, do they? If you do, you're going to have a really interesting wedding. Maybe a better wedding than some of the crazy hoopla that we do in our culture. But think about it. When you have a wedding that's coming, you pick out a dress and you pick out a cake and you pick out tuxes for the guys to wear and colors and mason jars filled with Pinterest projects and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) You get ready. You prepare for what is coming because you know that it's coming and you want to experience all of the glory and wonder that comes on that day. If we want to experience all of the gift of the greatness of God's mission, we have to do something about it. And I think what that looks like is continuing in righteousness, obeying, walking by faith with our God, trusting Him to produce in us what we can't produce on our own, knowing that when we get there, somehow, some way, by God's goodness and His grace, He involves us in that wedding gown that he gets to take delight in. I will never forget till the day I die, and probably maybe not even after that, the day that Lexi came through some back doors and walked down the aisle to meet me at the altar. And our getting ready plays a part in the dress that our Savior sees when we come down the aisle to meet him. Think about that. Walking in righteousness and obedience isn't some empty, worthless, I guess I'll do that kind of endeavor when you think about the joy that it'll bring to the one who gave his life for you. Don't just look forward to it. Don't just hope for it. Get ready for the marriage, for our marriage to Jesus. And the second thing I would say is if you want to experience the greatness of God's mission in light of the fact that he will accomplish it, rest in God's faithfulness while we wait for that day. Rest in God's faithfulness. Although you will be tempted throughout your life to doubt God's goodness and his faithfulness, remember the cross and let what Jesus has accomplished for you be an anchor that helps you remember that God is faithful. Pull out your portfolio of God's faithfulness in your life and remind yourself of the specific ways that he has met your needs time and time and time again. I'm not a journaler, but it probably would make sense for me to journal so that I have 2013 provided me with an incredible opportunity to come and be a pastor at Skillman Bible Church. August 2013 blessed me with a little girl that has more joy than I know what to do with, and it's crazy. You know, and so on, and go back and further and pull out that portfolio and remind yourself that even though I don't feel like it today, he's faithful. Even though everything around me says that I should give up because 
I'm suffering or things are falling apart, God is still faithful. I've seen him be faithful to me on the cross. I've seen him be faithful to me last year, last month, last week, and yesterday. God is faithful. Rest in that. God's mission is the only thing worth giving our lives to. I really believe that with every part of my being. And it's worth it because God is worth it, because joy is found in knowing him and being known by him, and because he has promised and he has made it such that he will accomplish this mission. It will not fail. You have the opportunity today I have the opportunity today to experience all of the gift of the greatness of God's mission, but it will not happen automatically. We have to do some things based on what we know is true. And we don't do these of our own strength. We do these in the grace and mercy of our God. But my question to you today before we leave is this. Actually, there's three. Will you worship God alone? Will you forsake all of your idols and burn them in a heap? And say, God, you and you alone are all that I want and all that I am going to give myself to. Will you know God and make him known? Even if you're scared to get out of your nest, even if you're so terrified of sharing the gospel because you don't know what to say and you're afraid you'll look like a fool, will you speak about Jesus anyway? so that you can introduce others to the source of joy and multiply yours in the process. All to God's glory. It comes back to the first thing, that he's worthy. And finally, will you get ready for our marriage to Jesus and rest in God's faithfulness while you do? Will you get ready for this coming day and not just be a passive observer, but an active participant in the mission as it folds out? These questions are intensely personal because we need to process this on that level because each of us has been completely blown away with the grace and mercy of our God. I can think of no better way than to pour, to honor that and to be thankful for that on Thanksgiving week than to pour your life out in these ways. One day... We're going to stand in the midst of the innumerable international multitude. One day there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and language, every part of our globe, in a mass, mass crowd, in a chorus that sounds like a waterfall and the loudest thunderstorm that has ever appeared. Because we will be face-to-face with our coming king, our bridegroom, the one who laid his life down for us. And that will be so overwhelming that we will not be able to contain it. So we will shout for joy. God's mission to make worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be accomplished. And let's not lose sight of that day. Let's work with, our jo- let's work with joy to see our neighbors from across the street and across the world be participants in this wedding supper of the Lamb. Let's pray.